Hi, I'm Lydia. And I'm Ryan. And we are Two Two Gingers Gingers on on the Run. Run. Join us on a series of wild expeditions by motorcycle. This season, we're exploring Scotland. Let's ride. Lydia's wearing a motorcycle jacket, rubber boots, and she's walking through the peat bogs on Isla. And she's holding a tiny American flag. It looks a little ridiculous. Lydia, what are you doing? I've been waiting for this moment for 10 years, okay? Like, I had my first sip of Laphroaig a decade ago, and I've been obsessed with it ever since. It's like the most popular peated scotch in the world. And when I bought my first bottle, I got this little code on the inside that I used to register a lifetime lease on that plot of land right over there. Yeah, so we just hopped over a fence. We're standing in a few inches of water, and Lydia thinks she knows where a plot of land is. But she's definitely headed in the wrong direction. Whatever, man. I started flying airplanes when I was 15 years old, and uh, I'm pretty good at navigation. Pretty sure I can navigate through freaking peat bog. I mean, uh, peat bogs are just flat, open spaces with a little amount of water. There's not a lot of landmarks. Pretty sure you're going the wrong direction. Yeah. So the point is, um, if you make it to this distillery, they give you a map and a pair of Wellingtons, these like big rubber boots, and a flag from your country, and then you get to go out into the bogs and plant the flag on your land. Okay, Lydia, we've got 20 minutes until the tour. What do you want to do? Um, I saw a coffee shop. Let's go do that. Okay, let's go. We're having coffees in the Laphroaig distillery waiting room. And now that we have a minute to talk, I have something I want to share with you. I don't think I'm experiencing this place in the same way that you are. And before I say why, I want to just acknowledge this place is amazing. The birds (laughs) chirping, they're beautiful. There's peat bogs all around it. The ocean washes up and basically lands on the walls of this distillery. It's, It's a beautiful place and it feels really real but I'm not sure that I'm letting myself completely experiencing it. I I know that it's a Scottish distillery owned by an American company with a Japanese CEO. And I think it leaves me keeping the brand at arm's length that I'm not totally engaging with this place. What do you think? I mean, I, I, well, first of all, I have like a longer relationship with this brand, I think. Um, I... I think I understand something of the cynicism. I mean, I'm in marketing and that's that's what I do. And so I, I've appreciated Laphroaig marketing for a long time. But beyond that, I feel like this is like, to your point, a pretty authentic place. Um, you know, Laphroaig is one of like, I think six distilleries in Scotland that like malt their own barley by hand. They harvest their peat by hand. Um, using these like hundred year old tools um, from these like 10,000 year old peat bogs that we drove across yesterday. Um, They use the peat to smoke the barley and infuse it with all these kind of peaty flavors like moss and heather and lichen. And like, 
don't know, like they've been here for over 200 years doing this thing. And all of that feels really freaking authentic to me. Um, so I hear what you're saying about like the kind of brand sta standing almost in the way of your experience of this place. But I also feel like this is a place that whose branding maybe really accurately reflects what it's all about, um, at least from my view. Yeah, and 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 I I think it's possible to have a brand by just being something. That your brand is at its best a description of what you are. And I think this place does a good job of that, and it kind of bothers me that I keep it at arm's length. Because I think that's something we're both aiming for in, in our lives, is to embody something, but also to know what it is and speak about it and describe it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think when I think about authenticity, um, if you, you know, want to say per in personal branding, um, I would just say like something, um, that I try to, to consistently share, even though it's a little bit uncomfortable for me is, um, the story of moving to San Francisco in 2013. Um, I cashed in my 401k, I sold my car and I moved to San Francisco to see what I could build. And I put everything on the line. Uh, I spent my first few months sleeping on, a. Um, like a camping mat I'd gotten at Walmart. Wait, so you just, you moved, you moved out here with some money and you tried to just start a business? You didn't even have a job? That's right. <laughs> I was, you know, I'd left the Marine Corps and, um, you know, graduated college and was looking around at the opportunities and just thought like, because I have this non-traditional background from the military, the opportunities in front of me are, um, aren't, um, like didn't feel right. They didn't feel like um, they'd put this range of skills um, that I developed to good use or, or kind of appropriately value them. And so I thought the best way for me to bring to life what I have in me uh, is to, to chart my own course and start my own business. That's, that's really badass. Thank you. <laughs> Thank that's you. so brave. Thank you. Uh, I didn't. I didn't think they'd pay me enough, so I just decided to do it on my own. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I like. I I actually didn't experience a lot of fear when I first moved. I can count on one hand the number of times I felt fear, uh, and maybe that's because I'm wired wrong. <laughs> but maybe I should have been feeling fear. But but there were definitely a few times when I didn't know how I was going to pay my rent, and um, on those days I would usually go down and volunteer in the tenderloin. And um, volunteer at a homeless shelter there. And wait, so you were worried you wouldn't pay rent? Yeah. You didn't go like try to find money, or or do something you thought was going to make money. You would go volunteer. Well, I mean, I was always hustling, always I, like cold calling people in those first few months and trying to find how am I going to create value? How am I going to get paid? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think in those times when it, when all you can think about is kind of survival, it's like. Um, it's very distracting, you know? I mean, it's it's hard to be able to really grind, at least for me, when I was fixated on how am I going to pay rent? How am I going to, you know, what's my future going to look like in 15 days? And so I think um, going and volunteering um, just created this sense of gratitude in me every time for what I actually had um, in that moment. And I would know, like, even if it's only for another 10 or 15 days, I've got a safe <laughs> place to sleep. I've got 
a comfortable sleeping mat. I've got um, food, you know. These are all things I have right now. So so how is this part of your brand? Yeah, I mean, I think, like, so I, I grew up um, kind of poor. Like, we went to food banks and things like that. I had a big family. You know, my parents had 13 kids. And um, and so I, I, rem- I remember wearing the same outfits to school a lot of times. And um, it, we I just grew up really poor. And I felt a lot of shame around that growing up. And so I think, you know, even now, um, telling the story about, you know, coming back from the homeless shelter and feeling gratitude, but also kind of looking in the bushes and thinking like, I could probably sleep there if I were homeless. Like, that's something that's still like a little uh, embarrassing almost, or like vulnerable for me to share, but I want to keep doing it because I feel like um, telling every part of your story, even the parts that are a little bit embarrassing, um, it, it it's empowering too. Because no one's gonna, no one's gonna find out, you know, any other way um, about this reality that I really did live, and uh, I, I don't feel like I'm gonna get discovered or uncovered or anything like that. It's like this is just this is just the truth that I lived, and um, so yeah, I'm gonna own it. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's something we're both working on. Yeah. I, I thank you for telling that story. I didn't know yeah. that about you. Yeah. But that's a beautiful story, and you're very brave. Thank you. You're very. I mean, I like your. I like your uh, Nepal story. That's so good. That's yeah. so good. But what, what's your what's your story of like authenticity? Would you say? Yeah, I I divide my life into two separate portions. One where I really had no idea who I was or what I was doing. I was just kind of operating. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a time after that when I started to kind of figure out and the, the figure out who I am. And the triggering event was a relationship. It was a relationship with a woman who I'd, I'd been with in, in a long-distance relationship. And... I hadn't been telling the truth about what was going on. And I came back to her from some time away and she found out about some stuff that had been going on that I hadn't been honest about being, I hadn't been being honest about. You were cheating. I was cheating. Yeah. And when she asked me about it, I couldn't, I couldn't say the words. I could, mm. I, I could think them in my head. I mm. could think like she asked me like, who, who, who were the women? What happened? And I could think them in my head, but I couldn't say them. Because if I was to say them, it meant that I'm not actually the person that I think I am. Mm. I thought of myself as an honest person, as someone with integrity. And the reality was that that's not what I was doing. I wasn't behaving in a way that showed integrity. But was there any check in you, like, as that was happening and unfolding? No. Not really? No. I think I was uh, far more concerned with Mm. what I wanted, and Mm. I was molding and shaping what I saw in the world in order to accommodate me getting what I wanted. Mm. Uh, But, uh, no, I don't think I... I had a, a, a real sense of what was happening. So so it was that moment of not being able, would you say it was, I'm not trying to be hard on you, but it, would you say it was like a lack of 
like courage or, or was it fear or what was that moment of discomfort that, what, how would you describe that? It was cognitive dissonance where mm. it, it, okay. it, it actually felt like I was going to say something that was untrue. Mm. Right. Cause I yeah. am a person with integrity. I'm not a person that mm. is a liar, but I was lying mm. <laughs> and I was doing yeah. things that didn't have integrity. So, mm. um, that, then that cognitive dissonance is why it sticks out for me so much and why it was so transformative in my life. It was such an important thing that happened. Um, and, you know, I, f- I feel regret that, that it caused other, uh, someone else pain, but yeah. uh, uh, I'm also really thankful that it did because I recognized how foolish, how misguided, how confused about my own life and my own self and my behaviors I can be. Um, and now I have, you know, it took me some while, uh, while to process that, but now I have a little more perspective and can look more objectively at what I'm doing and, and compare it to, is, is this who, who I want to be? Yeah. Is this how I describe myself? Am I do are my my actions reflective of what I believe? Yeah. And that's hard. <laughs> it is hard, but I mean that's 100% integrity, right? When it is matching your you, not just your actions to your words, but also your actions aligning your actions and your words to your values, which is a totally different I mean that's it's hard. Integrity is freaking hard. Um and uh, I think it's I think it's amazing that you use that experience to kind of transform into the way you com- I think communicate today, which is uh, a-, a lot of real time communication. Um, uh, you know, letting other people know when you're um, you know defensive or irritated or frustrated or super happy, um, just being in a constant flow of communication and, and doing that really regularly. Um, and honestly, and I think that's, um, I mean, I think you're one of the best communicators I know. Um, well, thank you. Yeah. That's why I like hanging out with you. (laughs) Tell me all kinds of nice things about myself. Um, I feel like this has been a pretty authentic conversation. Yeah, yeah, I'm feeling a little nervous. Yeah. But also really good, actually, really solid. Um, I think we should uh, go to the main desk because I think the tour is actually about to begin. So Craig's over there telling us how scotch is made, but it's hard to hear him in this loud mash room. So, uh, Lydia, are you ready to explain everything you just learned? Yeah, of course. I'll explain the whole process. Okay, so it all starts on the malting floor in these like big open rooms that we just walked through they release these seven ton hoppers of barley onto the floors of this huge building and they let the barley start to sprout um and then they hand turn the barley to cool it down to prevent full sprouting and that's called malting um craig says it changes the starches in the barley to be kind of optimal for the flavors they're trying to extract from the drink um, and then they pull all they like shovel all of the barley um, into this room and smoke it using peat smoke uh, from the peat that they harvest off of Isla. Well, what, what is peat? 
Peat is this mixture of like heather and lichen and moss. Um, and it's, it's just this kind of ancient smash down. It almost looks like um, someone described harvested peat as looking like elephant turds for lack of a better. Uh, it's just like these like really dense, um, like natural, this really dense natural substance that they harvest in like huge bricks. Okay. So they smoke the barley with peat, and then what comes next? Um, then they move the barley into these mashing tanks, and they mix it with hot water to break the starches down into this kind of fermentable sugar, and they add yeast. And out comes a product that we just tasted a minute ago, and it's um, it almost tastes like a really weak, super yeasty beer. And that's what they move over into these seven giant copper stills to distill. So they, they heat the mixture up and um, it kind of evaporates the, like, I don't know, the essence of, of this, this mixture. And then what comes out on the other side is, is what they age for, you know, 10, 15, 18 years or more. And that is scotch. Okay. Um I'm pretty impressed that you could go through one. I, I feel like you've learned this before, Lydia. I definitely have studied this a little bit. Okay, cool. Um, so thanks for that explanation. What's next? Um, well, you've got some questions for Craig. We want to find out a little bit about who the heck our tour guide is. So let's go and track him down. All right, sounds good. So Craig just gave us a tour of the distillery. And I'm curious, Craig, like, why? Why do you work here? Well, um, what attracted me first was just how such a family run it is. I mean, we're not all related, but we feel like family. So yeah. we're all quite close. We're a really good, successful team. Um, so it's just, it just worked out great. I, just, um, I came to the islands with, to be with my girlfriend because she moved up before me. And I just spent a year just sort of getting used to myself, getting finding my surroundings. And then a job came up here and I just, you know, I wanted to, um, it just, through the year of not being employed, I, I saw a lot of distilleries and just quite wanted to get into one if I can. And it was a bit difficult in some places trying to get one. So when an opening came at Lafroig, I just had to try and jump at the chance. So when I got up, got given a job, yeah, I was quite happy. And it's, just, it's from there, just being working with such a great team. And it helps that the whiskey's really good as well. I mean, that's me just being biased, but, you know, um, it does help. And it's just, it, that's why it attracted me to Lafroy. So I just love working here. I love where we are, if you know the bay. It's just beautiful. And, you know, just the nice salty sea air. It's, it, that goes into the whiskey. It just, it just, it just feels, feels great. And I just I can't, you know, nothing for me beats this at the moment. Um, so, yeah, probably sound a bit biased on that. What's your favourite one? Um, uh, the current range is the Law, is my favourite. Um, my all-time favourite is the 18, which unfortunately we discontinued about four years ago. So Law actually is the replacement for the 18. Um, so yeah, the Law at the current range, but 18 is my ultimate favourite of a Lafroy. Cool. Thanks, man. No problem. I appreciate it. That was awesome. Um, I loved hearing a little bit about Craig's story. Yes, yes, that was really good. But now we're going to do the best part. We're going to taste it. Fantastic. 
fantastic. Uh, Ryan, what do you think? Like the sweat from the inside of a Greek wrestler's jockstrap. Can't get enough. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the second episode. On the next episode, we'll visit the Isle of Skye and meet an amazing shepherdess named Linda. For pictures, blogs, and to access the rest of our episodes, visit twogingersontherun.com.